last week we started a series on the true story of Christmas. You know, religion, it's really, it's really kind of funny, you know, how religion has kind of compact some things and changed some things. Did we learn a little bit last week, a little bit more about Mary, about Joseph, right? You know, just the background that you can see the principles of God in the background. So today we're just going to keep going with this. Jump in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2 and verse 1. I'm just going to take my time and, uh, you know, I, I, don't, I don't have a sense that I'm going to preach for an hour and 23 minutes like I did last week. Um, but, you know, it's okay. Um, so far in this series, you know, I, I, I have about 43 pages of notes and uh, it's crazy about a Christmas story, but there's so much in this story. But the one thing you need to know, this story is really... It's not just about a baby in a manger. It, it is about the cross. It's about redemption, right? It's about God dwelling with us in a new way. So Luke chapter 2, verse 1, I'm going to kind of read a lot of scriptures in this story, but we're going to elaborate and take you a little deeper as we go into this. It says, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. Now, this is a real interesting thing, and you see God moving in the earth. So basically, this word decree, it means it's a public decree. It was issued by the Roman Senate, but it came from Caesar Augustus. And what it was, this word decree, as it goes, it's a public decree. And then it says that all the world should be taxed. This Greek word taxed, it literally means, it, it, it's more accurately translated uh, registered. Okay, not, they weren't going to go, you know, Joseph and Mary were not going to Bethlehem to pay taxes. They were going to Bethlehem to be counted. Okay, so they were to be registered. What was happening is there was a census that was taken. It was to determine for the Roman government how much they would be able to tax the people for budgetary reasons, okay? So that's what's happening here. And it says, and this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And there's a lot of controversy here. They're going, oh, see, there's a controversy in the Bible because there's no way he wasn't governor. You know, he was governor at this time. Well, People that come against that really don't study because Cyrenius was governor twice. He was, he was governor, then he wasn't governor, and then he came back and was governor again, which was at the perfect time. So Cyrenius, he lived from 51 B.C. to 21 A.D. So he was alive during that time, right? So it's real interesting how it all fits. And, and right, you know, these dates that we, we know pretty close, maybe not exactly, but we probably, I mean, Jesus was probably born uh, in maybe four to maybe six to maybe even seven BC, right? You know, he was probably born then and then he lived, he went to the cross in probably April of AD 30. So he was probably 30-some years old. So this is when all this is taking place. So verse 3, And all went to be taxed, everyone to his own city. Right? And all went to be taxed. 
So this is the whole Roman Empire. In other words, what happened is here's Caesar Augustus who thinks he's the man. He has this thought. They talk about it in government. We need to do a census. But who is ultimately, who's ultimately behind that? This whole thing, God literally, this would have thrown the whole Roman Empire in chaos. It, it, would have, it would have thrown everybody in chaos because when Caesar says, you have to go to your hometown so that you could be counted, that means I don't care about your business. I don't care about anything. Everything stops and you go to register. So people are traveling everywhere. Could you imagine... How would you like to try to go out to eat in Omaha downtown during the College World Series? <laughs> or, or, you know, let, let's just say, you know, let's, uh, I want to go, uh, you know, I'm going to go to Los Angeles and rent a car during Super Bowl, right? You just don't, don't do that. Well, could you imagine, that's what's going on. I mean, people were murmuring, they were unhappy, they were uncomfortable, in other words, though, God was doing this for one reason. He needed to get Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem Ephrata, a place that they would never go. You know, Bethlehem, it was probably a town. It was a massive metropolis of about 300. You know, on maybe holidays... Uh, it might reach, because it was the city of David, it might reach maybe 1,500 people, right? And so just a very small town, there's no way they would have ever went there, but they had to go there because Jesus had, because the word, when God says something, it's coming to pass, right? What am I, why am I saying that? A real principle of this story is don't feel like you have to have all this euphoric feeling and you have to love everything about what you're doing when you're following God's plan for your life. It will be the most satisfying, the most fulfilling thing in your life. It, it won't be the most comfortable thing, right? I mean, it'll expose every weakness in you, right? It, it'll, it'll, it, I mean, your flesh, you'll have to, you'll have to do some things, right? So all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. So think about this, it's very inconvenient. Verse 4, and Joseph also went up. He went up. The word of God is so accurate, he went up. See, the journey from where Joseph and Mary were to Bethlehem would have been journey uphill to a higher elevation. So how, that's even more fun when you think about 70 to 90 miles most of which are on rocks, uphill, you know, and, and you're almost ready to give birth, right? It says here, from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. So Joseph and Mary had to go on a 10-day. I mean, normally, if you see 90 miles, and it's really 70 to 90, it's about 70 miles as a bird flies, but they, they would have been having to maybe walk around some stuff. Realistically, 90 miles, it would have been a normal journey. If, if you think of back then, about 20 miles a day is what people would travel. Then they would have to camp out. You know, there's wild animals. There's thieves. All this going on. But their journey would have probably been about 10, 10 days. 
You know, I mean, it's amazing what happens to a lady's bladder when they have a baby sitting on it, right? And then it's just kind of being squished as they're on this donkey, right? So anyway, and all these women are going, stop, stop. We don't want to, Alicia's going, stop, okay, right? Is Angelica here? You're really, because it's what, January? Man. Don't pregnant ladies look beautiful, though? You guys just glow. You just glow. That's awesome. All right, let's keep going. So this, he had to go to Bethlehem. They're on their way. Why, verse 5, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. So this is an interesting scripture, a prophetic scripture in Micah. I really like that name. Micah, my grandson. Chapter 5, verse 2, it says, But thou, Bethlehem Ephrata, so the prophet Micah is prophesying literally 400 years before there ever was an, a Bethlehem Ephrata. He pro- there was only a Bethlehem Zebulun, which was a different town. He prophesied that in Bethlehem Ephrata, though you be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been of old from everlasting. So you remember last week, Mary's family was from Sephoris. They also moved, they would have moved and lived in Nazareth, which was under four miles away, right? Joseph's family was from Nazareth. I'm sure he lived in Sephora too. I know he worked there. There was no natural reason for them to go to Bethlehem, right? But the Roman decree was the reason, and Joseph had to drop everything to do this. In other words, God moved the whole world to get them in the right place. God will move everything to get you in the right place, even when you don't realize it. Do you realize God's working right now in your future? And sometimes we're over here going, oh, this is uncomfortable, and you're like, you know, I mean, I had to go back in the corporate world, drop all ministry to go back into the corporate world, you know, and I was working just two miles from here when I moved here, never saw this building at all. You know, snow, it's wonderful when you have, you know, you have a parking lot with 50 cars on it and it snows, right? And you've got to rent 50 cars and I mean, you know, it wasn't really fun, and I'm like going, I made, was making more money than I made, or less money than I made when I was 20, maybe 23 years old, and now, you know, I'm like, okay, I mean, I was excited to be in Omaha, but if you ever lived in Fairfield, Iowa, you would be excited to be in Omaha, <laughs> right? So, so, and that's just me, right? Kathy, forgive me, forgive me, you know, but, uh, you know, that's just, I thought I, it was like a major step backwards but it was, I was going forward. I just didn't feel like it. Do you know the anointing was growing in my life tremendously when I wasn't ministering 300 times a year? Was, that's weird, right? So, but, so don't ever... God is so good. You could kind of be messing around here, doing this, not happy sometimes. You just keep pressing into him. You keep filling your heart with the word of God. He's not moved by any of that. He'll get you in the right place 
if you'll let him, if you'll just, just make sure you're not saying no, because that'll get you out of place real quick. Do you know Bethlehem, the town name, means the house of bread? It was prophesied that Jesus would be born in a town with the name House of Bread. In John 6.33 it says, For the bread of God is he which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. John 6.35 says, And Jesus said to, and unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. He that believes on me shall never thirst. John 6, 48, I am the bread of life. And I was born in what? The town which means house of bread. God is so detailed. So Luke chapter 2, let's keep going with this story, verse 6. And so it was, and so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. Okay? So now she's full term, the day's there that she's gonna uh, be delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn son. This Greek word firstborn literally means the first of other children. Now that might rock some religious people that think that Mary was always a virgin. <laughs> right? But no. You know, we, it, lists, it lists in Matthew 13. Jesus had all kinds of brothers and sisters, right? But he was the firstborn. In Matthew, I'll just, I'll just say this, in Matthew 13, in verse 55 and 56, they were talking about Jesus. They go, is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother Mary and his, brother, or his brethren, James? He wrote a book in the Bible. Joseph, he was in the ministry. Now, they thought Jesus was crazy when he was on the earth. But you know, his whole family was serving God in ministry. The whole family. You know God calls families? Absolutely. It goes on to say Simon, he was in the ministry. Judas, or Jude, he wrote a, bo a book in the Bible. It's a real, she, he was a man of few words, right? Jude, right? So, and then it says, and he had sisters. It doesn't list their names, so, but if it's sisters, there had to be at least two. So Jesus grew up in a family of seven, at least, right? His sisters, all of them, however many they were, you know, there's different people are guessing, but they just don't know. Uh, but, they, but history tells us that they were all married to people that were in the ministry. They were all in the ministry. They were all, his whole family was saved. Jesus' whole family got saved. Isn't that cool? Don't let any of your family go to hell. Right? You pray. You believe God. Yeah, but I messed this thing up. Don't worry about that. God could fix any mess you've made. Just keep, just keep loving them unconditionally. You know, take the hits. Right? God will work when you're not working, and you'll, you'll be able to spend eternity with them. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and then she wrapped him in swaddling clothes. So in the cave, you know, we see a manger scene, and it's, it's not a cave, but it was a cave. Jesus was born in a cave, and in this cave, it was in an area 
where they would keep animals, and, and sheep specifically, we'll get into that, but swaddling clothes were pieces of a type of cloth where when a lamb was born, they would wrap the lamb's legs in swaddling clothes. They would wrap them so that they would not get marked because they're little, they're going to be falling down, whatever, right? And these were sacrificial, these were holy lambs, considered holy. They were being raised to be sacrificed in the temple in Jerusalem. So they could not be marked. So that's why these lambs were wrapped in swaddling clothes. They would have been in the cave. So Mary and Joseph, after they cleaned Jesus up, they wrapped him in swaddling clothes. They wrapped him. And then they laid him in a manger, right? A manger. It's just a trough. So they wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger. A manger, think of it this way, is a feeding trough. It could be made out of wood. In the cave where Jesus was born, do you know if you go to the church of the nativity uh, and you go down beneath the church into that cave, they know that's where Jesus was born. There is actually, you can't, there's all this religious stuff all over the place, but there is a manger, a stone manger where they would feed animals, and a lot of people believe that could have been where they laid Jesus, right? It was a feeding trough, so just that's what it was. And because there was no room in the inn, so we don't, don't think of inns like today, right? It's not, they had no Marriott's there. There, there was no, you know, none of that, right? An inn could have been an upper room in a person's house. Travelers were treated, they were, that culture treated travelers very well. They, they were very hospitable and people would pay money to be able to stay in upper rooms. Well, there was no room in the inn. The reason why is Joseph and Mary probably got there late and even if they didn't get there late, they were probably, all the rooms were probably filled because they had to come from pretty far away. So that's why, I mean, could you imagine? That might be a little stressful, right? I mean, Jake, you know, Mark, all of a sudden, your wives are ready to give birth. They've been on a donkey for 10 days, camping for 10 days, you know, going uphill. Uh, and they're probably not super happy. Now they're about to give birth and there's no room. So you're like going, okay, well, it's Bethlehem. There's caves everywhere. Let's go you walk in a cave. Well, no, we can't go here. There's too many people here. They're all, there's all these, amp yeah, we can't do. They, but they found a cave, right? I, don't, I, don't, I think when we get to heaven, we could ask them, did you just, oh, I'm the holy family, the first cave I go to. No, probably wasn't the first cave, right? So anyway, that's, that's the way it was. I mean, it was not comfortable. I think it's hilarious that we sing a song, Silent Night, Holy Night. I mean, because it was holy, but man, it wasn't silent, right? There was probably a bunch of guys in there who made a fire, and they're playing, you know, whatever games they play, you know, they're talking, there's animals, there's, you know, there's animals going to the bathroom, there's, I mean, all kinds of stuff going on, while Mary... I mean, think about it, why this teenage girl is giving birth. Yikes, right? Not, a, not the cleanest environment. Okay, but that's what's happening here. So now, 
Bethlehem, as we said before, was probably about 300 people. There were many caves and where animals were kept. But in this area is where these Levitical, Levitical priest shepherds, they would guard these sheep. And they were guarding these sheep because they, were being, they would protect them, right? Uh, because they were going to be sacrificial lambs. They couldn't have marks on them or anything. And they, had, they would take them into caves at night or different places, whatever, right? Sometimes they'd probably leave them out. It would just be different. Every time it's different. So that's kind of the scenario. I love John chapter 1 and verse 29. It says, the next day John saw Jesus coming unto him. When Jesus was coming to the river Jordan. And he says this, behold. What does that word mean? Wow. This is amazing. The Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the whole world. So the bread of life was born in the house of bread. He was wrapped in swaddling clothes so he looked like a lamb. He's the Lamb of God that was, that was to take away the sin of the world. Whew. So now, verse 8. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And there was in the same country shepherds abiding in the field. This field, literally where they were abiding, this is, it's called the shepherd's field. It was called that back then. It's actually, you can go there. It's, there's, there's a shepherd, it's called the shepherd's field. It would have been where they were watching these sheep. They were keeping watch over the flock by night. So they had a flock of sheep at night out in this field, okay? And they were keeping guard, or they were keeping watch. This word watch means they were guarding and guarding and watching and guarding. It's a continuous word. This is not just a normal shepherd. These guys were highly trained. They were protecting these sheep, not just from animals and things, but they had to protect them from falling over, from this, all this stuff. They were watching and guarding and watching and guarding. So in Micah, it's real interesting, Micah chapter 4 in verse 8, it says this, And thou, O tower of the flock, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, Unto thee shall it come, even the first dominion, the kingdom shall come to the daughter of Jerusalem. It's interesting. The tower of the flock. These Levitical shepherds were watching over these sacrificial lambs that were to be used as sacrifices in the temple. And, and they were watching them in the shepherd's field where the tower of the flock was. It all fits. Luke chapter 2, verse 9. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. So here they are. They're doing their deal. It's night. They're out there. They're in the field. They're with their, uh, with their sheep. And then it says, and the angel of the Lord, one angel, the angel of the Lord came upon them. This, this, this phrase came upon them means it was sudden, it was surprising, and it was completely glorious. Like all of a sudden, whoa, this angelic being is there. 
and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. Now this is really cool. The glory of the Lord. This, this word shone, it didn't mean that the angel showed up and there was just light everywhere. It literally means this angel shows up and there is a beam of light. This, this word shone means a shaft of light, a beam of light coming from heaven right where they were, and it engulfed them in light. It was like this big shaft of light. Wow. Could you imagine what that would be like? And then it says it shone round about them, and they were very afraid. And the angel said unto them, fear not. In other words, in the literal Greek, it would read like this. The angel would say to them, I want you to immediately stop being afraid. You know, if you had this angel of the Lord say that to you, you'd be like, oh, y yes, sir. <laughs> right? <laughs> no, because why would an angel say fear not? Because the Lord would tell him to say fear not. And when an angel says fear not, guess what? It's, it's a word. It's an empowerment. So they would have had the ability to stop fearing. Right? We got we to really look at this from underneath the light of the Bible here. Said fear, or the angel said, Fear not, for behold, behold, this angel's like, Wow, this is amazing. I bring you good tidings. That's a little vague. He's like, Guys, this is amazing. Good tidings in the Greek means I'm bringing you the greatest news that there has ever been. Not the greatest news that you've heard, the greatest news that has ever been. This is the greatest news in all of human history. I'm bringing it to you tonight. Isn't that cool? I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Why? Because Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. For unto you is born this day. In the phraseology of the Greek, that means when that angel said, Unto you is born this day, that means Jesus has already been born when the angel showed up. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. That word means a deliverer, a healer, a, pre a preserver, which is Christ, Christ, the anointed one, Christ also could be translated the anointed Messiah, which is, there's born unto you in the city of David a savior, a deliverer, a healer, a preserver, which is Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, the Lord. Now this is interesting, the Lord. This word Lord means the absolute Lord. No higher power than him, no one above him. Even at his birth, he was pronounced, even at his birth, that little baby in a manger was Lord of all. Above all, more powerful than all, that's who he is. Right when they, right, the first thing the angel says, what does he do? The angel literally is announcing to them, but he's also announcing his mission. Why? Because God always reveals himself. 
In Philippians chapter 2, verse 10, it says that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things, and in the Greek it would be of things or beings in heaven, of things or beings in earth, and of things or beings under the earth, and that every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's who he is. All right, Luke chapter 2, verse 12. You guys doing okay? Isn't this cool? Man, if you'll take the time, you could listen to these messages and lay it all out and then read it. Just have it out there and read it and take your family through this, right? Luke chapter 2, verse 12, and this shall be a sign. So the angel's still talking, and this shall be a sign to you. In the Greek language, the angel's saying, guys, you shepherds right here, this is a sign to you personally. Here's the sign. You shall find. In other words, you're going to have to look, but if you look, you're going to find it. Okay, You shall find the babe. This Greek word means a newborn babe, which means Jesus was just hours old. He was not very old. A, brand, a newborn baby, right? Just hours old. Wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. In other words, the angel's going, guys, you're watching all these holy sacrificial lambs. But I'm telling you, there it, the sacrificial lamb. I'm going to give you a sign. He's in a cave. He's in the city of David. And he's laying in a manger. And he's wrapped in swaddling clothes. Could you imagine? And they, what did they do when they went looking for Jesus? They would have went cave to cave to cave. Hey, is there a baby in here? Did somebody just have a baby? No? Okay. Guys, have a great evening. Is there a baby? I mean, they had to look. Right? So... This is what's going on. He's wrapped in swaddling clothes. He's lying in a manger. Verse 13. Now, the angel's talking. Up to this point, there's one angel. But, um, but while he says this, and suddenly, that means, again, it happened immediately. It caught them off guard. They're standing there going, wow, this is powerful. This is glorious. The angel of the Lord here. And then suddenly... There was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts. This word multitude means an innumerable amount. So in other words, all of a sudden, there's not just one. Now, it, the sky, everything is, they're all there. Of heavenly hosts, that means all of the armies of heaven now are there. Wow. And they were praising God and singing. It's not what it says. It says they were praising God and saying. You know, it's real interesting in the Bible. There's not one verse in the Bible that says that angels sing. Now, do they? Oh, they probably do, but it never is recorded they were announcing and proclaiming something. They were praising God and they were announcing, they were saying. Okay, what were they saying? Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. 
The literal rendering of this in the Greek would be on earth, peace among men whom he is pleased. So this is interesting. Why were they all there? Right? They were all there. All the armies of heaven were there to reverence and to honor and to look upon their commander. Military people would understand this. We understand this because we are in the body of Christ. They were all there, and that this is interesting. Many theologians believe this. Looking at what this scripture says, I lean towards this as well. Up to this point, these angels had never been able to look into the very face of God. They were all there because they're like, could you imagine? They're like, wow, this is amazing. He emptied himself of everything and came to this earth to be born as a baby. This was the first time they could look into the face of God. The reason why we lean this way, and, and you know, pretty much every theologian agrees with this, you know, this doesn't really matter, but I think it's kind of cool. But in 1 Timothy 3.16, it says this, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. The mystery of godliness. Look at this. God was manifest in the spirit. Manifest. It means God became visible. He appeared. He appeared in the flesh he was justified in the spirit. And this is why we think that this could be the first time they saw the face of God. He was seen, you know the cherubs that fly around the throne saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty? Do you ever notice? They're flying around the throne, but they have wings that cover their eyes. And it says here, seen of angels... This, give us, this gives us a picture, this Greek word, of a scrutinizing look, a look with the intent to examine. They not only wanted to look upon him, they wanted to experience him. Isn't it interesting? It tells us as we peer into Jesus, we're changed into his glory. These angels, they wanted to see his face to look into him, to look intently because they knew as they even looked intently into him, they would experience him. Interesting. That'll just get your spirit going, right? Preached unto Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. In other words, God became visible in the flesh. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. Jesus' birth in Bethlehem, as we've said this before, it was not his beginning, it was his manifestation. Right? That's when he was manifested. Verse 15, And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste, and they found. 
This Greek word found denotes that they were searching. And it, it, it has within it, they found, it's like, it's like the word eureka. It's like all of a sudden they walked into this cave. Hey, did somebody have a baby here? Yeah, can we see? Oh my gosh, it's him. He's wrapped in swaddling clothes. Wow! Right? Mary would have been sitting there wondering and contemplating. Joseph's like, wow, this is kind of crazy. been a crazy night. You know, there's a lot going on in there, but these shepherds are like, oh my goodness. There he is. Hallelujah. So it says here, they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in the manger. Verse 17, and when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning the child. What saying? He's the savior. He's the deliverer and healer. He is the Messiah. They went around and they said, listen guys, the Messiah is here. Right? The anointed one is here. The Lord of all and above all and everything. The Lord is here. So that's what they told everybody. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. They wondered. They're like, what? Is he really here? Is he going to deliver us from Rome? Is it, you know, all this stuff, you can imagine. It says, verse 19, but Mary kept all these things. Kept. This Greek word means she treasured them. She kept them from corruption. She kept all these things that were happening to keep as a priceless possession. And she pondered them in her heart. This word pondered means she laid them out chronologically in her heart. She wanted to remember everything when the angel Gabriel came to her. When, you know, all, everything. The whole thing from the time the angel came until the birth. She contemplated all of these things. Towards the end of her life, when, when she was living in Ephesus with John, right? John, John, one of the disciples, remember when Jesus was on the cross? In the middle of everything he was going through, he looks down at John, which was one of the few disciples, right? Maybe the only one that was there. And she said, behold, John, your mother. In other words, in the middle of, of redeeming mankind, to look upon him, he didn't look human. All this stuff happening, he still cared for mom, right? This is why when the TV camera's in the face of an athlete, they're never like, hi, dad. No, it's always mom, right? It's always mom. But, you know, John took care of her. And then he told his mom, behold your son, like, John, you take care of my mom because I'm leaving. And so now Luke came to Ephesus and Mary would have laid out in chronological order. That's how we got this. She told it to Luke, right? Verse 20, and, all the, sh and the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had seen or heard and seen and, it was, and it, as it was told unto them, now, so now Jesus is born. Now, 
when eight days were accomplished, now did, did they live in a cave for eight days? Now remember, Joseph would have been a well-off guy. He was a professional, right? He was a highly paid person. He had money to get a place. Think about it. People would come, they would register, and then they would leave, right? So there's constantly people coming and leaving. So no doubt, he got his family into one of these inns in Bethlehem as soon as possible. And then when eight days had come, was accomplished, Jesus was circumcised. He was circumcised the eighth day according to the law. And his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. In other words, they called his name Jesus because the angel told them to, right? Verse 22, and when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished, now, if you study that, the days of purification, purification for a woman after she had a baby, from the birth, the days of her purification, when it was over and accomplished, that would be 40 days. So now we're talking not just eight days. They probably were in Bethlehem for that eight days. You know, I mean, she, she's like, yeah, Joseph, I'm, I'm not hopping on a donkey after having a baby, right? Are you kidding me? I will slap you, right? <laughs> right? So, so, you know, some people believe they could have stayed in Bethlehem. I'm more prone to believe that they ultimately went back to Nazareth and then to Jerusalem. But we don't, we don't really know. They could have just went to Jerusalem. I don't think so because of the wording here. It says when these 40 days were accomplished, it says they brought him to Jerusalem. So I don't believe, some people think they just went from Bethlehem to Jerusalem. I don't think they did. I think they probably went home, right? And then when the days of her purification were done, they went to Jerusalem. So now, this is, this is interesting. They brought him to Jerusalem, and here's a big part of this story. They brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. present him it's real interesting in other words they dedicated him to the lord baby dedication we do those right jesus was dedicated to the lord there was a baby dedication this word present literally means to place at one's disposal. See, now many times we do baby dedications because we just want to get pictures and we think it's cute. No. No, God's, God's not into, you know, yeah, it is cute. I mean, man, these little ones are so cute. But it's really, for us, it's a parent dedication. It's actually even a church dedication because we're, we're to, you know, we're to help in that area, right? But this word present literally means to place at one's disposal, they were taking Jesus and saying, God, here he is at your disposal. This word means to surrender him. They were surrendering him to God. That was a baby dedication. It literally means to offer him as a sacrifice. God, we are bringing our son to you today to offer you as a sacrifice. He is at your disposal. You can use him any way that you deem. Right? 
to present as a special offering to the Lord. And here's the, here's the key to this word. To present once and for all. You know, we've done that with David and Sarah. God, they're yours. We're committing to raise them in church. We're committing to live our lives before them. We're committing to teach them the word of God, right? We're committing to live the word in front of them. But they're yours. We're stewards, you own them. That's what was happening with Jesus after 40 days. So they would have been in Jerusalem when he was 40 days old. Here's what's really interesting about this word. It's the exact same Greek word as Romans 12.1. Can you pull that up? Paul says, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you would present yourself, your bodies, a living sacrifice. They had never even heard of a living sacrifice. All the sacrifices were dead. God is saying, I want you to present yourself to me as a once and for all offering. You're to come to him and say, listen, my body is not mine. It is yours. I'm dedicating this. This is an offering. I'm surrendering my body to you. I'm offering my body as a sacrifice to be used by you. I'm so glad that I have the honor to present myself. Right? Mary and Joseph dedicated Jesus to the plans and the purposes of God. We're called to present our bodies to God the same way. So, that's interesting about this story, isn't it? It should spur you on. I'm telling you guys, he is worthy. The Bible says glorify God in your body and in your spirit which belong to him. Is he your Lord? Right? It's just, I'm telling you the simplicity of a walk with God. I told the men this the other day. You know, we struggle with stuff. Well, pastor, it's just so hard. It's just, you know, I'm just struggling with doing the word. You're not. There is no struggle to do the word if you've committed yourself to it. The struggle is you're struggling because you're not committed. So you're thinking there's an option here. Right? I was at a chiropractor who was working on my pelvis. I'm just so grateful I'm still in one piece because, you know, he's 6'4", and about 290, just massive dude. He played football for Nebraska. And he's puffing. He's on top of me. Bam, bam, you know. And I'm just like, oh, it hurts really bad. But then when he's done, I'm like, oh. And so we started talking. He goes, you know, uh, visceral fat, man. I know, you know, you're, I know you're struggling with your weight. I said, I said, David, I've never struggled with my weight once. He goes, really? Because... <laughs> are you kidding yeah no I go I've struggled with the commitment and the discipline to lose weight but I've never struggled with my weight right 
Now, some people have trouble losing weight and everything, but no Christian does because we have the word. We could speak over our body, right? And everybody said, yeah, that's good, Pastor. And Pastor goes, ouch, why did I have to say that? All right. So look at this, verse 24 of Luke chapter 2. Now jump back into the story. Let me just read this again. Verse 22. And the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished. They brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Now jump over to verse 24. And to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons. This verse is where many theologians say, see, Jesus was from a poor family. Because turtle doves and pigeons, normally this was a sacrifice of poor people that didn't have a lot. They would, they would have a kiosks, like little, we saw them when we were in Israel, by the temple, they're places where people would sell, you know, little animals and stuff where, where you could sacrifice them. And pigeons, turtle doves, that fit the law, but they were, they were not very much money, and that, this would be the, the type. And so they're saying, see, Joseph and Mary had no money, okay? But they didn't really study this enough because it was also very well known that this was also the normal sacrifice for travelers. People that would travel from afar. People that lived close to the temple, they could bring better offerings. But if you live far away, you couldn't bring a better offering. You'd have to go to Jerusalem and you'd buy something little and that's what you would do. And that's what Mary and Joseph did, right? Because they would have traveled. So if they would have went from Bethlehem to Jerusalem, that's only about five miles, but Jerusalem to Nazareth is about 70 to 90 miles, okay? Up to this point, if you'll notice in this story, there's something, well, and oh, let, me, let me go on. Let's jump down to verse 39 now. And it says, and when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, so they presented these sacrifices, they presented Jesus, he's 40 days old. Now get this, he's 40 days old, and what did they do? They returned into Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. Does the Bible say that? Pastor, why is there no mention of Magi? He's 40 days old. There's no Magi. Every nativity scene I've ever seen, I mean, the Magi's right there. They're bringing their little bag of gold, little one. Their little thing of frankincense and myrrh. And there's three magi. Where did all that come from? Religion. Right? We see in the story in the Bible that the magi showed up. They were never in Bethlehem. They show up two years, when Jesus is about two years old, they show up when he's a toddler in Nazareth, living in his house, right? We got to get this right. Why in the world would we make this story? Well, the story fits better. 
you can't fit all this on some of the art because you got to have the Magi in there because he's part of the story. And, and you can't fit it on a card. I know that sounds silly. That sounds about as silly. You mean to tell me the whole world has been deceived in this story because they just put it all together? It's like it's no big deal. Are you starting to see that this story is a big deal? And it's important that you rightly divide the word of God. We won't have time today to go into the Magi, but we'll get to it. I should have started earlier, but that's okay. So they showed up two years later. So now, let's see what we can do here. You guys are doing good, right? All right. So now go to Matthew chapter 2. Let's read some more of this story. Are you guys enjoying this? I hope this is helping you. So it says in Matthew 2, verse 1, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, that he was called Herod the Great. Usually they would call somebody Herod the Great after he died. But they called him Herod the Great when he was alive. This, this guy was a massive nightmare. Right? Herod the Great. It says this. Behold. Wow. This is amazing. This is Matthew writing this. He's saying, wow, he's amazed by this. This is amazing. Look at this. What's amazing? There came wise men. If you're Italian, there came wise guys. No, these were not wise guys. <laughs> these were wise men. It's the Greek word magi. From the east to Jerusalem. Now, they would have traveled probably from Babylon or somewhere in Iraq we're talking about almost 1,700 miles they would have traveled to come to, to Jesus, okay? And they came, they came, uh, they came, uh, let me see, they came from the east to Jerusalem. When they get in Jerusalem, now listen, this was not three guys on camels. Magi, when one Magi would travel, he would travel with hundreds of servants and hundreds of trained, very highly trained, like military people. Because magi, as we see magi, magi were major. They would place kings in offices. They would dethrone a king with their word. Right? These guys were wealthy I mean, they were, they were leaders. They were political leaders. They were all, all these things, religious leaders. They were scientists. I mean, they, they were just incredible men. Daniel was called the chief of the Magi. Years ago, he lived, you know, hundreds of years earlier. But it says, Matthew's kind of blown away. He's like, wow, behold, look at this. Wise men, Magi, came to, to Jerusalem. And they came saying... Where is he that is born king of the Jews? This word saying means everywhere they went. They're like, hey, where is, have you heard about this guy born king of the Jews? Have, have you heard? Where is he? Where, where is he? I mean, everywhere they went, this company, everybody's going, hey, where is, this would have been, now, usually 
when magi would come, they would come with, with basically, based on who they were coming to see, would be how great of a company it would be and the gifts they would give. So, you know, one person has said three. There's another writing that says 12. We don't know, but this was a caravan. When it came into Jerusalem, it would have been massive. There probably was over a 1,000 servants. There might have been a couple thousand military people. They were carrying... Uh, they were carrying gifts that were, they were just a little bag, right? When they would, when they would come see a lowly king, one of, of the lowest, like king not, not over a whole lot, they would bring, I can't remember the, how many kilos of gold, but it was, in today's, it would be right about $5 million worth of gold. That's what they would have brought to a little king. But they came to see the words they used is the king of the Jews. And the, the word king is capitalized. Is the king of all kings, the greatest king that has ever lived or will ever live. Have, is, he, is, he, is he here? They traveled 1,700 miles to honor him. Why? Because the chief of the Magi that was born almost 600 years earlier, prophesied, right, that there would be a Messiah born. And they had been looking for hundreds of years, these magis, the generations, and now they saw this star in this constellation that led them here. Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. So who are these magi? They were an elite caste of Midian priests. They were astrologers. They were from the east who were strongly under the influence of Daniel who lived in Babylon. Right? His writings, his prophetic writings, they were under the influence of that. They were looking for this. When Daniel came to Babylon, there was already magi. Daniel was proficient in prophetic scripture, interpreting dreams, and he was the chief magi in Babylon, and Daniel prophesied that there would be a, a, a Messiah. They, they looked at it as the greatest leader to ever live would be born. Daniel taught that a star would appear to announce that this leader, this Messiah was born, and they saw the star. This is what's happening. These magi were looking when the star appeared that announced the birth of the greatest king in human history. The general belief was this was the time for this king to be born. They knew that this star was about to appear. There were so many prophecies about this leader, this Messiah coming to this earth. I got to tell you, you've heard me say it, 333 prophecies about his birth, life, death. Double that for his second coming. Babylon, it's in ancient Persia, which is in modern day Iraq. So this is where this is at. Again, they had power to put kings in place or to dethrone a king. They were spiritual leaders. They were sacred people. 
They were powerful people. They were influential priests. They were religious leaders. They were politically very powerful. They were devoted to interpreting dreams and studying constellations. They were basically the most powerful and wealthiest class in all of the Middle East. That's who these were. They would travel with all this entourage. The Magi revered Daniel's prophetic writings. Right? Daniel. So this is, we're talking, this is like, you know, 6 B.C. Daniel lived, he was born in about 620 B.C. So like over 600 years earlier, he died in 538 B.C. He died I mean, literally 500 years before Christ ever come, had ever come. Wow. So now let's look at this other player real quick. I'm kind of setting all this up so that we could have just an overview, powerful service next week that won't go very long. So pray for me, because how do you do that? But I, you'll see, I'll do it, I'll do it. So let's talk about this guy, Herod the Great. So we talk about the Magi. So they're coming. Now let's talk about Herod. Herod the Great. He was a colossal builder. Remember Sephorus that we talked about? He was building that city. It was to be the ornament of all of Galilee. He built Masada. He built the Temple Mount. He expanded it and made it like 12 soccer fields large. I mean, he did all the, everything he did was huge. He was massively rich. He was a wise politician. He knew exactly how to negotiate with Rome in order to keep his throne and in order to make his people happy. But here's who Herod really was. He was so paranoid that someone would take his kingdom and his throne. How paranoid was he? He had his brother-in-law killed because... He thought the guy was trying to take his throne. That's pretty bad. Well, let's, let's get worse. He had his wife. He killed his wife. Let's get worse. He killed his three sons for the same reason. He was a murderer. Every time, now think about it, he would have heard, he would have heard, because Magi, History tells us that when Magi came to see Nero in Rome, the Caesar who was, you know, he was all about, I'm the greatest of all time. The history tells us that he trembled when he heard they were coming to see him. And now you've got a group of Magi coming to Jerusalem, and they're saying, where is born this king of the Jews? And Herod the Great's going, wait a minute, I'm the king. So he immediately is like, I need to kill this guy. I need to kill this little kid, right? This is who he was. Herod was a tyrant. He was a ruthless dictator. Okay, so have you ever heard of the Sanhedrin, this group of religious leaders, right? When he first became king, the first thing he did is he had the whole Sanhedrin killed. He killed them publicly. And then he removed the high priest and then he picked his own Sanhedrin and his own high priests, which kind of were like the religious mafia for him. He totally controlled them. 
That's, that, that's just, hey, welcome, I'm your new king. Check this out. It said when he knew he was dying, he died a very horrible death. He had multiple sexual, Josephus says, he had multiple sexual diseases. It says the worm was eating him. Just disgusting. He died horribly, but he set this up. He built this hippodrome. It was, a, it was an athletic arena, and he said to his military guys, you bring all the princes of Israel, and on the day that I die, I want you to kill all of them so that people will cry because they're dead. Their families will cry because I want somebody crying when I die. And he knew nobody was going to cry when he died. So they did that. He's, he's dying. He's on his deathbed. They bring all these leader, all these princes. They're going to kill him right in front of everybody, brutally. He dies. They let all of them go. And instead of, there were no tears shed. It was laughter. It was partying. That's the end result of Herod, right? But this is this guy. So he was a tyrant. He, he replaced the Sanhedrin. He died in about 4 BC. So he wasn't, he wasn't alive very long. You know, Jesus and his family would have fled into Egypt for about three and a half to four years, they figure. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Let's go on this really quick. I got, I'm going to go a few more minutes. We're doing okay. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king... Behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born, king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are coming to worship him. When Herod the king heard these things, he was troubled. Right? He's troubled. Whoa, whoa, whoa. No king's going to be born. And it says, and all Jerusalem was troubled with him. Why? It, when it says all Jerusalem, it means everybody in Jerusalem was troubled. Why? Because they knew, oh, shoot, there's a king. He's going to start killing people. This is going to be a bloodbath, right? Herod was troubled because if the Messiah was born, the Messiah would rival his authority. Verse 4, and when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. That would be Micah 5, 2 that I read to you. And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the, art not the least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Could you imagine how mad that made him? Verse 7. Then Herod, when he had privately called these magi, these wise men, he inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. So in other words, he got with the magi and he's like, guys, I need you to tell me exactly when this star appeared. You got to tell me exactly why. Because he wanted to find out when was this baby born. Because he had a plan. Herod wanted to know when the star appeared so then he would know when Jesus was born. Why? Because Herod wanted to kill the child. Okay? So, Matthew chapter 2, verse 8. And he sent them to Bethlehem. And so, he, so now when they tell him, he sends the Magi. He says, okay, guys, 
go to Bethlehem, right? Jesus wasn't in Bethlehem. I hope this makes you really happy. It makes me so happy. Because I'm telling you, sometimes when the enemy's messing with you, you think he's omnipresent. You think he's all-knowing. Listen, Satan didn't even know where Jesus was. He's not omnipresent. He's not all-knowing. He has a satanic hierarchy that he has to rule over. Do you think they really want to serve him? Right? He says, go and search diligently for the young child, and when you found him, bring me word that I may come and worship him also. What a liar. When they had heard the king, they departed. So they're, they're departing. They're thinking, okay, we're going to go to Bethlehem. And lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them. Now, many believe the star of Bethlehem was the planet Jupiter and Saturn aligning. Okay? That happened in this time. Guess what? December 21st of 2020, for the first time since the birth of Jesus, the Bethlehem star, Jupiter and Saturn, aligned again for the first time. Just a coincidence. Right? But the first time it aligned, it was in the constellation Virgo because of the virgin birth. But this time when it aligned, guess what? It was the constellation of Leo. Why? Because he's the lion, the tribe of Judah. It says the heavens declare the glory of God. I love this. So, when they, so it says here, when they had heard the king, they departed, and now this star which they saw in the east is going before them. Could you imagine? Listen, stars don't go before you. So this is a supernatural event. They're like, okay, there's a star. He's telling us to go over here to Bethlehem, right? Um, we're in Jerusalem, but no, we've got to go to Nazareth. Darn it, because Bethlehem's five miles away, but Nazareth, this, this star, where are we going? We don't know. We're just going. They're from Iraq. They follow this star 70 to 90 miles to Nazareth. And then look at what happens. Until it came and stood. In the Greek, that means a stationary position. So this, this star, Jupiter and Saturn, they're, you know, they're kind of planets. It stopped above where Jesus' house was. That's kind of interesting. Hmm. I wonder if God could help you in your body or your finances. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding joy. In other words, Herod sent them to Bethlehem. However, the Magi never went to Bethlehem. They followed a star to Nazareth. Wow, isn't that cool? Verse 11. And they, and when they were come into the house in Nazareth, when these Magi came into the house, could you imagine? I mean, we're talking probably thousands of people. Nazareth is like this little community. So on the hills of Nazareth would be this massive camp and the biggest, baddest dudes would have came with these magi, knocked on their door, 
And when they came in the house, hi, we're here. Uh, we want to see your baby, if that's okay, Mary. Right? It says they saw the young child. Notice, it's not the same Greek word as in Luke, baby, who was just born hours early. Now it's child. It literally would be our word toddler. Jesus was two. So they saw his mom chasing this two-year-old. Now think about it. Think of a two-year-old right now. But when these men who put kings in position, look at what they did when they saw him. They fell down. It means they collapsed. They collapsed on their face. Right? And worshipped him. He's two. This word worship means, I love this word, it's proskuneo. It literally means to intimately fall toward and blow kisses instantly, intently at him. No doubt Jesus is standing there. And, and these great men are on their face blowing kisses at him, worshiping him. And when they had opened their treasures, now this word opened is not like they just, oh, hey, do you got the gift? No, no, this word opened is like an opening ceremony. So like I went to church with uh, the granddaughter of Jesse Owens. And in the 80s, when the, when the Olympics were in the Coliseum in L.A., she carried the torch into the L.A. Coliseum in the opening ceremony. Have you ever saw an opening ceremony? Well, this was, this was an opening ceremony where they had treasures and cargo brought in, right? The word treasure, they opened their treasures. It describes a large amount of various treasures, right? They would have included, we know this from history, they would have included things like this. Uh, these gifts would include like elephant tusks, carpets, vases, extremely expensive jewelry, handmade uh, out of silver, fabrics, gold, or, you know, garments, jewels, all this stuff. And it says their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, multiple gifts included in that was gold. This word gold in the Greek means gold, the purest form of gold that there is. And again, for a lowly king, it would have been about $5 million worth of gold. How much for Jesus, we have no idea. It was massive. And yet we think he was poor. Side note. Side note. Did you notice how Jesus never received an offering in his ministry? No. Do you notice how he never lacked anything? I mean, God, there were people that funded it. He had a treasurer that was stealing, and they, when he was going out to betray Jesus, they thought he was just going to give to the poor, right? Do, do you know who, Joe, do you know who uh, Jesus' uncle was? See, when they fled to, think about, see, the day that, that Jesus came into the life of Joseph and Mary, their financial life changed forever. This is a principle in this story. 
The day you accepted Christ, your financial life changed forever. You are never to lack. God says, I'll meet your needs according to my riches and glory. We have no idea what that is. Isn't that amazing? Do you know who Jesus' uncle was? Joseph of Arimathea. Who is he? Oh, he's only the wealthiest dude in all of Israel. He was probably the guy when they were in Egypt that was the trustee and everything. Sephorus was a large banking thing. They could have took care of stuff. He probably called Joseph. Joseph probably called Joseph of Arimathea and said, listen, we got to go. We're going to take enough for us. But you got to, you know, we're going to be in hiding. But here, take care of all of our stuff. Right? That happened the night that the Magi came. And, and they also gave him, now see, gold, that was a, that was a gift for a, a king. They gave him frankincense. Literally, that was a gift for a priest. Myrrh, and, and, and let me tell you this, frankincense and myrrh were more expensive than gold. So whatever the gold was worth, the frankincense and myrrh was worth more. And the myrrh was kind of weird because they would embalm people with that. Wealthy people and stuff. But that was signifying of his death. Right? So this is amazing. This would have been a fortune that they brought him. The Magi gave gifts in line with the greatness of the recipient's status. Who was he? The greatest king of all time. They actually, we, we know... They prepared for two years for this trip. They prepared these gifts and treasures for two years because they were coming to see the greatest king of all times. Wow. Hmm. Well, we got more of the story, but we're going to have to wait. Isn't this good? Man. You know, Joseph couldn't work in Egypt. Do you know the Coptic church, they have a lot of records where they followed. Herod would have sent spies into Egypt looking for him for this three and a half years until he died, right? Do you know he couldn't, Joseph couldn't have worked? And, and it, is, it is well documented. There's like 26 different places that Jesus and his family lived in hiding in those three and a half to four years, all up and down the Nile River. They were, they were kind of in hiding. But guess what? God is El Shaddai. He's Jehovah Jireh. He financed the whole thing. 